Talk Money is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. <coughs> For updates, further breakdowns, and past episodes of this podcast, sign up at thetalkmoney.com. In today's episode of the podcast, we're showing our support for No Kid Hungry. Kids around the country are missing millions of meals due to school closures as a result of the coronavirus. No Kid Hungry is helping to ensure those kids and their families receive the necessary meals they depend on. Please visit nokidhungry.org to learn more on how you can help. Link is in our episode notes. Now, on with the show. Hi, everyone. Mesh here from Talk Money, and welcome back to The Price of a Pandemic, our series where we discuss how the coronavirus is affecting the economy, business, markets, and investing. If there's one thing we've learned from this pandemic, it's that we owe our healthcare professionals a lot. In the past few weeks, they've continued to go into an unsafe world every day, showing up at hospitals with too many patients and too little protective gear. And when they finally go home, they sacrifice hugs and closeness in order to keep their own families safe. At the heart of that team are the nurses. They attend to patients 24-7, a challenge even in calm times. And right now, hospitals are severely understaffed. In a time when masks and machines are limited, the risk of resurgence is high, and nurses are overworked, underpaid, and doing their best. How can we continue at this pace? In today's episode, we talk about the increased demand for nurses and why we have such a limited supply in the first place. I talk with Rosemary Aznavorian, who served as VP and Chief Nursing Officer in both a large multi-hospital system and healthcare staffing company. She also happens to be my mother-in-law. Let's get started. My name is Rosemarie Aznavorian, and my current position is Vice President and Chief Clinical Officer. I've held that position in both a hospital setting as well as a healthcare staffing company. And Rosemary, can you explain to us what one of these staffing companies does? Staffing companies are really a supplemental strategy for staffing relief at the individual hospitals. The hospitals could be expanding or opening a new service. They might need additional staff related to the number of FMLAs or it could be related to a large surge of patients, whether it's the seasonal flu or whether it's related to the pandemic that we're going through now. And in the case of the pandemic right now, I'm assuming you're seeing an uptick in requests for nurses. Yes, absolutely. The requests were always there prior to the pandemic. And the expansion of COVID nationally has provided almost a 60% increase of requests from hospitals nationally. And you yourself are a nurse, correct? Yes. I've been a nurse since 1979, uh, quite a long time ago. I decided to follow the leadership track, although I did a lot of clinical bedside nursing and specialties. However, I progressed to a manager, then to a director, and then to a chief nursing officer. And how long did it take you to become a nurse in terms of schooling and practice? So I did start as an associate degree nurse and then went back and got my bachelor's of science in nursing, my master's of science in nursing administration, and then my doctorate in executive nursing practice. Obviously, with all your experience, you probably have some good insights into how the hospital system works. Can you explain to us how the current system works in terms of staffing nurses? There are a number of different ways that hospitals can determine the number of nurses that they need to take care for the patients that they have within the hospital that they're providing services for. 
And you mentioned to me before that there are essentially two teams of nurses. You have a core team, but then you have a float pool. Can you explain the difference between the two? Core staffing is routinely the amount of staff that are based at the hospital and based on a particular nursing unit. So many hospitals may actually have a float pool. They may have a group of nurses that float between different units. And those are the nurses that are considered supplemental staffing that they would work across the system where they're needed. So staffing agencies can provide professionals from actually across the country with everything that has been happening in New York. Obviously, New York had significant needs. Staffing companies have the infrastructure to be able to have nurses coming from other states, get them credentialed and get them to the individual states or the individual hospitals that need them across the country. And for a nurse to decide whether they want to be part of a core team or part of this float pool, it seems that there's better pay as a floating nurse. How do people make that decision? You have to have a number of years of experience of independent practice because you're being put into an environment many times that you may not be familiar with. So you have to know where the medications are. You have to know the policies and procedures of the hospitals. However, it is a mindset to be a float nurse and to be able to work across different hospitals or even take 13-week assignments if you're working for a staffing company. You have to be able to be flexible. There's usually a higher level of base pay in a hospital. And those nurses also have the mindset they're looking for flexibility to work within their schedule. So there are a lot of millennials that are doing the travel nursing so that they can experience other hospitals in other parts of the country. And what are you seeing now in terms of the pandemic with all these hospitals requesting more nurses? And I mean, they're putting their lives at risk. What is the response from the nurses themselves? COVID virus, as we know it today, is extremely contagious. And it's very easily passed along in ways that we have not experienced before. Many people are asymptomatic, means that they don't have any symptoms, but they still are shedding the virus and they don't really know that they actually have it. That's what's called viral shedding. So the personal protective equipment or PPE that everybody's been speaking about, and you see all of the pictures of the staff wearing face shields, masks, goggles, head covers, and foot covers. That adds to the clinical staff's challenges in not only protecting themselves, protecting their families when they go home, but also protecting the patients. The frontline staff is always experiencing some level of emotional as well as physical fatigue. When the patients are coming in significant volumes and they're getting sick quickly and having to go on ventilators very rapidly and patients are dying with the virus and because their family members can't be with that patient, it's many times that the nurses are the last person there with that patient as that patient's passing away. So there's a lot of burden on the patients right now in terms of trying to protect themselves and not have to go to the hospital, but there's also a heavier burden on the medical professionals in terms of being there for their dying patients. That sounds insanely stressful. All these people putting their lives at risk. Can you paint a picture for us on how understaffed hospitals are and why they're so understaffed? In 2010, there was a report that came out 
from the Institute of Medicine, and it was on the future of nursing. And as far back as 10 years ago, it was clearly identified that we were going to be in a nursing shortage again. And how are we doing now? We haven't progressed very well. There are a number of items that have led to the continued shortage. The first is in 2009, where most of the recession had occurred, a number of nurses went back into the workforce who might not have been working previously. Also, nurses who were getting ready to retire could no longer afford to retire because of the economic climate. So it gave a subtle but inflated confidence that the nursing shortage was not as significant as was projected in the Institute of Medicine report. So as the economy continued to improve and those nurses started to retire and we were not producing enough nurses coming out of nursing programs, it created a significant vacuum and a lot of the hospitals are competing for the same talent. So we really have not made significant strides in increasing nurses who are available to care for our patients at the bedside. And how important are nurses in the hospitals? I would love to have you share with us how essential they are to the whole system. Although I'm a little biased, nurses truly are the foundational piece within any healthcare institution. Nurses are there 24 hours a day, seven days a week with a patient. They're determining when a patient is deteriorating or when a patient is progressing. They determine when a patient status changes and has to have a physician phone call made to determine what medication or treatment changes have to be done at a certain time. And without nursing care, there's really no revenue generators for the hospital. Without nursing, you can't provide service to patients. And so when you say revenue generating, you mean that the services that these nurses perform is the services the hospitals charge the patients for? Well, nursing actually is included in the room and board charge. And what does that mean? So let's just say you're in intensive care and it's $2,500 a day to be in the intensive care unit before you even get medications or treatments or have a respirator or lab work. So the room and the board includes the nursing, it includes environmental services. So is it fair to say with the cost of education and then the amount of work nurses do and the amount of risk they put their lives at and comfort they provide to patients, they're not fairly compensated? There's always room to have a much higher starting base salary for nurses right out of school. If we had that, it would certainly keep a number of nurses in the profession. It would certainly help them in terms of repaying the student loans and helping to support their family. But even with physicians that are taking care of the patients, it's the nurses who are on the front lines. And then it's nursing that is really the heartbeat of caring for patients. And how do you think we can incentivize more people to go to nursing school? What would need to change so that it becomes more appealing and we could potentially solve this issue of staffing? There are a number of factors to consider. The first item would be taking a better look at how we could reduce or forgive part of the student loans. There's a number of ways that you can get some of that forgiven, but not everybody works within the federal system. So we need something a little bit more for the private sector. 
The second is to have the higher base salary for starting nurses once they go through their training and they're at an independent practice. Obviously, they're not going to be earning as much as someone who has 10 or 15 years experience or has additional certifications. And you had mentioned to me that there are restrictions state by state about where nurses can practice. How has the pandemic changed that and potentially helped? Nursing licenses are either single state or what's known as compact license. And then the federal government in the VA has a different type of licensing as well. So single state licenses means that you have to go through their process of fingerprinting, getting your transcript sent, going through the vetting process to be able to get reciprocity of a nursing license if you're not taking boards directly in that state. A compact license allows you to work within multiple states. And are we going to see that post-corona stay the same or do you think that they'll revert back So with the current pandemic, what has happened is a number of governors have issued emergency declarations waiving the fact that you needed to have a license to work in their state. So right now, I could send a nurse to a different state who doesn't have that state license because they would be accepting a Texas license or a Florida license wherever they were originally based. That sounds like it would be a good step forward. Given everything that nurses on the front lines are going through right now, nurse to nurse, what would you say to those nurses on the front lines? First and foremost, thank you. You've seen many of them going into work, throwing their gowns on, putting their face masks on. So thank you for putting yourself at risk, for putting potentially your families at risk and caring for these very, very sick patients in very, very high numbers. Second, please always do your best to try to take care of yourself. We know it's difficult right now. You're being asked to work a number of hours. A 12-hour shift may turn into 13 or 14 hours because your patients are sick and your care is not complete. And the fatigue can weigh very, very heavily on the staff. When you're there and the patients are dying, that never leaves you. But take time to celebrate those patients that have recovered and celebrate the reuniting of their families. There are hospitals who, when a recovered patient is being discharged, they play the Beatles song, Here Comes the Sun, so that everyone in the hospital knows that we have a recovered patient. The tension between reopening the economy and managing the pressure on our hospitals marches on. The one thing that's clear is that our healthcare system wasn't built to support this kind of widespread illness. And now that it's more strained than ever, healthcare workers are paying the price. We owe it to our nurses to take care of them, like they take care of us. How do we create better incentives for people to enter the field? And how do we remove financial barriers that deter desperately needed students? How do we compensate them for putting themselves in harm's way? At the very least, we can continue to show them gratitude for taking on an outrageous risk to serve the greater good. We can join the worldwide cheers each night to salute all the essential workers. We can take a minute to think about what we owe to nurses everywhere and clap a little louder. I want to thank Rosemary Aznavorian for her time and sharing her insight into this industry. This episode was edited and produced by Olivia Briley and engineered by Maya Terrell. 
Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Sign up at thetalkmoney.com for further deep dives and to hear other episodes. We appreciate you sharing this with your friends and, of course, subscribing to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. Until next time.